This logic that allegedly either Abrams tanks or F-16s will uh, push Putin to launch a nuclear war, I think it's absurd. Either Russia or anyone else starts a nuclear war, it will be so-called mutual self-assured destruction. So basically, Ukraine is getting enough weapons to survive, but not enough weapons to win. Uh, one very absurd restriction is the use of Western weapons on Russian territory. It's, it's impossible to wage a war with this absurd restriction. Hi everyone, my name is Anastasia Lopatina and you're listening to This Week in Ukraine, a video podcast from the Kyiv Independent. Every week, I sit down with one of my newsroom colleagues to dive into Ukraine's most pressing issues. And today, we're talking about F-16 jets, the reasons it's taking so long for Ukraine to receive them, and the unfortunate politics of Western military aid. I'm joined by the Kyiv Independent reporter Oleg Sukhov. Oleg, welcome back to the show. Thanks for inviting me. So on August 20th, just a few days ago, uh, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky announced that Ukraine is finally set to receive 61 much-desired F-16 fighter jets from Denmark and the Netherlands. And the plan is to have these first jets arrive by the end of this year, 2023. So of course, the countrywide reaction is jubilant. Everyone is really happy. It's a big deal because Ukraine has been asking for these jets for a very, very long time. So to begin this discussion, just tell us a bit about what's so special about these F-16 fighter jets. Uh, why are they so important? Why do they stand out? Uh, so you, basically, Ukraine's air force uh, consists of very obsolete uh, Soviet uh, aircraft, and Ukraine uh, absolutely needs to replace them because uh, there are few of them, and uh, Ukraine cannot replace them with similar Soviet aircraft because they are produced by Russia, and obviously it's impossible to buy them from Russia. And then uh, also it's very hard to find any uh, on the global market. So it definitely needs to replace those jets uh, with Western jets. And F-16s are the most widespread, uh, you know, Western aircraft, Western fighter jet, uh, because there are about 4,000 4, of them uh, in the world. Uh, so uh, it's a big advantage because then Ukraine will be able uh, to increase its uh, fleet of F-16s. Differences between experts, basically, on whether F-16s will change the course of the war. Right, because the Ukrainian Air Force already said, I think their spokesperson said that it's going to be a game changer and it's going to change the way yeah. uh, this war plays out. Is that true? Uh, so it's, I think it's uh, sort of partially true. So on the one hand, uh, F-16s... Uh, are not a magic weapon, so uh, they, uh, they like the, there is a sort of a consensus among experts that F-16s uh, by themselves will not radically change anything. So uh, because basically uh, it's just uh, one minor aspect of the war, and then it will take some time to train Ukrainian pilots, and you know it may be too late. In, in some ways, it is a bit late because if Ukraine had had gotten those F-16s at the beginning of the invasion, they would have had uh, an impact already. Uh, but uh, Ukraine definitely needs them 
anyway, regardless of the time frame, because it will need to have uh, a modern, uh, you know, a, a modern fleet of aircraft as opposed to this uh, fleet of uh, obsolete uh, Soviet junk that it has now. But Ukraine has been asking for F-16 since the very beginning of uh, Russia's full-scale invasion uh, in February 2022. But uh, the U.S., and other Western countries kept postponing it. So basically, uh, last year, uh, U.S. said that some some of the Ukrainian pilots were being assessed uh, for possible training on F-16 fighter jets, but there were no commitments to supply any jets. And then this year in May, a so-called fighter jet, jet coalition was created when... Uh, a number of uh, European countries and the United States uh, uh, created sort of a, a mechanism uh, to train Ukrainian pilots and to supply F-16 fighter jets. And in August, uh, there were like specific commitments to supply specific jets. So it's like the culmination of this trend. So what are the kind of tasks that um, F-16 jets can help us accomplish? What can Ukraine do with them? So basically, uh, first, Ukraine uh, can use F-16s uh, to shoot down uh, Russian missiles. So they, they would be a sort of uh, air defense, sort of use of uh, um, aircraft like this is to uh, basically is to shoot uh, different missiles and bombs from uh, a large distance. So, and uh, this is uh, very important. So basically it will just add to Ukraine's uh, capabilities to destroy Russian military targets, specifically aircraft uh, in the occupied territories. Uh, so either close to the front line or far from the far front line. Well, uh, Ukraine also hopes uh, to achieve a sort of uh, air superiority, because currently neither Russia nor Ukraine has air superiority. And uh, that, that's what, because Russia is afraid of using its aircraft, because it, it knows that they will be shot, uh, shot down by Ukrainian air defense. Uh, and Ukraine is also afraid of uh, using its aircraft, obviously, because uh, they're pretty obsolete. There are a few of them, and uh, obviously Russian air defense will also shoot them down. So, um, uh, but uh, the use of F-16s will, will allow Ukraine uh, to have much better sort of air support during uh, counteroffensives during any, any military operation. Uh, although, uh, yeah, a lot of experts, like for example, Michael Kaufman, are saying that it will not have like a sort of a drastic, uh, dramatic impact that some people hope for. So basically, uh, like Ukraine will not be able uh, to use F-16s, you know, destroy Russia's entire air force, or it will not. Um, guarantee uh, that Ukraine's counteroffensive will be successful like, uh, by itself. It will not mm -hmm. guarantee it, but it will definitely have an impact. And so given all that, why did it take so long for the West to finally come to an agreement on this? Because as you already laid out, of course, weapons deliveries aren't fast ever, but the F-16 negotiations seem just especially long. I mean, we've been asking for them, as you said, from the very beginning. So it's taken more than a year. Why? So um, it's connected to uh, basically the West's uh, sort of uh, strategy, overall strategy uh, on weapons supplies. And what is that? 
So the strategy is uh, basically, it's like um, the West has been supplying weapons uh, very slowly since the very beginning of the invasion and like sort of piece by piece, uh, as opposed to uh, like fast uh, delivery of everything that it has. So for example, Ukraine uh, needed all kinds of weapons at the beginning of the invasion, but uh, the supplies didn't be, the supplies of uh, sort of necessary weapons started much later. And then only uh, like for example, last year, HIMARS multi uh, multiple rocket launches were supplied to Ukraine and that actually had a big impact on the course of the war. Right. But at that time, um, the West was saying that, uh, okay, HIMARS are okay, but uh, then uh, we can't supply tanks. So basically, um, and then this also changed. So, and uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, the West agreed to supply Leopard tanks, uh, Challenger tanks, and Abrams tanks. So, uh, and then after that, it was, it's still, the West still kept saying that, okay, tanks are okay, but not F-16s. So, and th this game has been continuing, uh, continuing for, for a long time. I think that the main reason for this is uh, this sort of um, irrational fear of uh, Russia and of uh, so-called escalation. Uh, and the West has been coming up with all sorts of uh, sort of absurd excuses. For example, uh, you know, uh, initially they said that, okay, it's uh, like uh, we, we won't supply F-16s because it will take a lot of time. But then... Uh, it, it did it, take time. Yeah, it did take time because the West uh, was delaying it for so long. But even, even if uh, this argument is sort of uh, taken seriously, then uh, <laughs> Ukrainian pilots would have been able to uh, use F-16s already if uh, they had started training at the beginning of the invasion. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, the logic was that, you know, apparently the, the, the West logic was that uh, we're not going to supply too many weapons to Ukraine, hoping that there will be some kind of peace with Putin, you know, some territorial concessions and everything will be over soon. So now th this logic is maybe it's uh, sort of started to starting to change a bit, but very slowly. And um, uh, I think uh, like uh, one of the fears is uh, this fear of nuclear war. Although I think it's also irrational because uh, it would be suicidal for Putin to launch a nuclear war. Why do you think that? Because basically, uh, you know, if... Uh, either Russia or anyone else starts a nuclear war, it will be so-called mutual self-assured destruction. So uh, th there is no point in that, actually, and there's no rational point. And uh, this logic that allegedly either Abrams tanks or F-16s will uh, push Putin to launch a nuclear war, I think it's absurd because if, if Putin... Uh, wants to launch a, a nuclear war, or if, if he's so irrational that he's actually able to do that, uh, then he, he doesn't need su such excuses. He can, uh, he can do it uh, anytime he wants for any reason. It's uh, like F-16s and uh, Abrams tanks uh, actually don't affect that. So, and also, uh, I think one uh, important point is that the West... Uh, is still hoping for some kind of uh, deal with Putin, but uh, but Russia has shown many times that it's it's not interested in any kind of peace deal other than Ukraine's complete surrender. So uh, so in this case, there is no other alternative 
to to supplying all all the best weapons that the West ha has and uh, as as quickly as possible. Uh, and also, uh, I think that um, uh, the, the West's logic is irrational uh, because th this logic just leads to the the continuation of, of the war indefinitely. So basically, Ukraine is getting enough weapons to survive, but not enough weapons to win. So basically what you were saying is that this Western logic of uh, not wanting to provoke Putin and not not wanting to lead to further escalation, it has clearly failed because the West has used that logic with so many weapons that it has eventually delivered and like nothing changed in the way Russia conducts its war. It's as, it's as brutal as ever, you know, obviously no nuclear war happened, nothing happened, despite the West being so afraid of that. But Another point that I want to highlight is that, as far as I understand, you're clearly separating the reasons for why these deliveries take so long between the normal and understandable bureaucratic and financial side of it and like the fact that production may take long and the political side of it. So you're criticizing the political. You're saying that there isn't enough political will for some of these things to be faster. Yeah, that right. Yeah, I'm talking about the political side, but the political side also affects uh, the technical side because basically, if there is uh, if there is a will, there is a way. So I basically, if the, if the West really wants something, it it, it can speed up production. Uh, mm -hmm. It can uh, you know remove remove bureaucratic hurdles and you know do everything it can to to speed up supplies and also like um, uh, as far as the political uh, side is concerned uh, one very absurd restriction is the use of western weapons on russian territory why is that absurd uh, i think it's absolutely uh, moronic because basically <laughs> uh, so it's like ukraine uh, is not allowed to destroy uh, the weapons that attack it. It's it's not like n no war can be waged like that. So if if uh, uh, you know Russia launches a missile from a, from a Russian facility, then Ukraine obviously has uh, both a moral right uh, to attack it, mm -hmm. and practically it's the only solution. To uh, to restrict like the use of Western weapons in that way is absurd. I think because it's just uh, uh, it's, if, if there's afraid of an escalation, it's uh, basically uh, it's the same uh, sort of the same logic as with uh, the supply of different kinds of weapons. And as we've mentioned, it fails. Yeah, it fails. So basically, uh, it doesn't affect anything in the sense that uh, it does it does not. Uh, it is not pushing uh, Russia, and it's it's basic basically if if the West thinks that uh, if uh, for example Ukraine starts using Western weapons uh, to attack Russia, and then Russia will somehow escalate the war by either launching a nuclear war or I don't know attacking Poland. Uh, this uh, I think these scenarios are sort of very uh, unrealistic. Because basically, it, it, Russia will not attack NATO because it's uh, it's afraid of uh, its own destruction. Basically, it will be destroyed because of NATO course, is much, it's a much bigger enemy. Yeah, NATO is much more powerful. If if uh, Russia cannot defeat Ukraine, then obviously <laughs> Russia cannot defeat NATO. Uh, so uh, 
And also, we've already been attacking Russian soil for a very long time now, and nothing yeah. changed, right? Yeah, yeah. But well, their logic is that okay, if it's if Ukrainian weapons attack Russia, then I mean, we're not. Uh, pleased with it, but it's it's, it's relatively okay. But wh- when Western weapons are used to attack it, then Russia will think that's the West uh, which is to blame, and then uh, it will definitely be pissed off. Uh, but it's uh, it's absurd. I mean, like uh, Russia has been saying from the very beginning that it's fighting with NATO. Like Russia has been accusing yeah. NATO of direct involvement since the very beginning of this war. So nothing's going to change. I think if an American missile flies in, yeah, and it's also it's uh, it's very uh, uh, impractical because it's it's impossible to wage a war with this absurd restriction. I mean, I mean, it, it looks uh, looks uh, very bizarre when. Uh, you know, someone hits you and then you, you're not able to hit him back. So are there any other important weapons that are in this kind of political limbo that we've been asking for them and they're not they're not being delivered yet? Uh, so one of the main issues now is uh, long range uh, missiles. Uh, so basically, uh, Ukraine uh, has been asking for attack missiles uh, for a long time and you, the US has so far refused to supply them. So they have uh, a range of uh, 300 kilometers, uh, and so they can be used uh, to attack uh, targets deep in uh, Russian-occupied territory. I think now th- there can be no excuses for actually for not giving attacks to Ukraine. So Ukraine has already received uh, Storm Shadow missiles uh, from uh, the UK. Uh, they are also long-range missiles. Um, and uh, they are very similar to attackums, but it would also be very good to, to have attackums too. And uh, so I don't. So apparently uh, there are also political reasons for this because I don't. I don't buy this uh, explanation that it's uh, somehow hard to produce them or to you know or that the U.S. has too few of them. I mean it's, this this is a solvable issue I think, and the U.S. is not waging a war right now, so it's probably uh, it's more important for Ukraine to have them. Also uh, in. In February, uh, the U.S. Uh, actually promised uh, to supply uh, GLSDB missiles, uh, which have uh, a bit shorter range, but uh, they are also considered long-range uh, weapons. But they still haven't delivered them, allegedly because of some, you know, production issues. So they are expected uh, to arrive by the end of this year, as far as I remember. Remember, yeah, but uh, it's not clear yet. But I think it's, it would also be good to have them. Yeah, that's the main issue right now. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that most people in Ukraine understand that all of this is just kind of like political will and political weakness of the West. And, you know, some of Ukrainian officials even have said previously that like, oh, they're saying no to F-16s now, but we all know it's a matter of time. Like everyone in the government kind of understands that like, yeah, yeah, you guys can say no to this missile or that missile, but like, we, we have data from the past to back up uh, the, you know, the assumption that in five months, your tone is going to change. But regardless of, you know, of the political reasons, all of this must have very real tangible consequences on the front line in Ukraine. Really tragic consequences, right? Like, just look at the counteroffensive that's gone going in Ukraine. I mean, we just discussed this in depth in our previous podcast episode with Francis Farrell, where we talked about how the counteroffensive could be going completely differently um, if we had more weapons and then weapons that we needed, right? Yeah. So basically, I think yeah, one of the reasons uh, why the counteroffensive has been moving a bit slow 
uh, I think it's it's because Ukraine doesn't have all the necessary weapons. I mean, it's it's not the only reason I think, but uh, it, it's still one of the reasons. And if Ukraine had, uh, you know. Um, a Western aircraft, if it had attackums, uh, it would have uh, much more opportunities for pursuing this counteroffensive. So, um, and when you know, when there are there are some you know Western media that say that you know that some Western officials are sort of uh, are not pleased with the pace of the counteroffensive, it sounds a bit um, arrogant. A- arrogant, yeah, because basically, if you didn't give them an, enough weapons. Why are you complaining? So, like, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you can question, you know, the Ukrainian military strategy or something like that, but at least uh, make sure that Ukraine has all the weapons and then judge the strategy instead of just, like, basically giving them only a small part of what you can give and then criticizing. Do you think that this whole situation is going to change at some point? Like, do you think the West will suddenly realize that their fears of escalation are ungrounded and they will speed up. Because, I mean, they have to start noticing that their fear of Russian-led red lines is just not materializing, like, again and again. Well, I think it is changing already. It has been changing probably since the beginning of the invasion, uh, although it has been changing very slowly. So, uh, basically, uh, um, the West uh, sort of began to realize that uh, those Russian red, red lines were, were a fake, and this this fear of escalation sort of was mitigated a bit, but it, it's not gone. So whether it will be gone, uh, I'm not sure. Probably uh, those sort of irrational fears will remain. We're now going to be moving to some questions that we got from our community members. Uh, as always, I'll remind you guys that the Kim Independent has its very own membership system. So it's really easy to support us for as little as $5 a month. It only takes a minute. You just have to go to our website at kimindependent.com slash membership. There is an option for a one-time donation and also several tiers for a monthly donation. That way you become a member of our community and you get really cool perks. You get access, for example, to exclusive events, discussions with editors. You also get access to a Discord server that has all the members of our community and the newsroom, and we try to engage as much as possible there as well. And of course, our favorite perk is that you get to send us in questions uh, before every single episode of the podcast, and we try to incorporate them as much as we can. So the first question that we got, the member is saying that uh, the training of F-16 pilots normally is a very lengthy process. So how likely is it that the Foreign Legion will operate the F-16s with contract pilots? So about the training of pilots, uh, there are different estimates of uh, how many months it takes to train um, a Ukrainian pilot. Uh, so I've, I've seen estimates from like a couple of months to like years. I think uh, probably the most realistic estimate is that it can be done within like five or six months. So by, by the end of this year, may, maybe by the end of this year, actually, uh, some, some of the Ukrainian pilots can be trained. Uh, so, um, and as far as, um, so as, as far as I understood it, it means that, uh, so be, like uh, that uh, some foreign pilots will join uh, the foreign legion, right? So basically, uh, this idea has been discussed, uh, and uh, I think it would be a great idea, you know, to to hire for foreign pilots. 
but I'm not sure there is like political will in the West for it because, uh, again, because of this uh, irrational fear of escalation, the US might not approve uh, this, you know, basically. Uh, this initiative. Yeah, uh, yeah, because basically um, the US would say that would probably say that uh, Russia would see those pilots as like real NATO pilots, and that would be like a great escalation. But again, they already assume that about our fighters. Like they genuinely yeah. talk about it on their state TV that they think that Americans and Canadians and whatever the French are fighting for us. So yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, as I said, this fear of escalation is irrational, mm -hmm. so it cannot be analyzed rationally. And I mean, I guess uh, this. The specific situation to which the member is referring is like a situation in which we already have the planes, but the training is still ongoing and we don't have the pilots. But I'm not sure if that's a risk because the training is a lengthy process, but so is the delivery. Like the delivery of the planes is going to take a very long time as well. Well, they uh, actually, the, the Netherlands and Denmark uh, said that they would deliver the planes after the train is completed. Here but uh, I guess uh, actually this uh, uh, the, 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 so this commentator proposes a solution when basically uh, the West supplies uh, F-16s before training mm -hmm. is completed. I think that that would be great, but uh, the West hasn't agreed to. So another question that we got is, um, do you fear that the strategy of the West is actually to freeze the conflict in Ukraine? and to force Ukraine to negotiate rather than helping Ukraine to win the war once and for all? Well, the, the slow delivery of uh, weapons definitely indicates that uh, the West is uh, interested in, in some kind of peace deal. So, so the question is like basically whether it's actually possible. And uh, a lot of people in the West, uh, you know, are beginning to realize that Putin will not agree to anything but Ukraine's complete surrender. Which means that in turn, we will not agree to anything but yeah. our victory because yeah, exactly. otherwise we're, we're destroyed. Yeah, exactly. So ba basically, it's definitely uh, true that a lot of politicians and officials in the West want some kind of peace deal. But even if they want that, even if they push for it, uh, even if Putin agrees to it, uh, Ukraine just may not agree to it. And it's not agreeing in the moment, right? I mean... I think the recent polls show that more than 90% of Ukrainian citizens do not support concessions to Russia. If yeah. the Ukrainian government suddenly flips the narrative and decides to go the other way, I mean, imagine the anger and the, uh, you know, and the unrest that can ensue. And that's definitely not something we need in a wartime situation. Yeah, that's true. Well, Oleg, thank you so much for being here. It was really interesting to listen to you. Thank you, Zoom. Also this week, Ukraine's law enforcement conducted hundreds of searches of military enlistment offices and medical commissions across Ukraine, revealing large-scale corruption schemes. Germany's foreign minister defended Ukraine's right to strike targets on Russian soil, saying that Kyiv acts within international law and that the strikes on Moscow are legitimate, Andola news agency reported on August 22nd. And the Ukrainian military reported entering the village of Robotine, and advancing south of Malatokmachka in Zaporizhia Oblast. Ukrainian forces also reported liberating three square kilometers near Bakhmut over the last week. You can find our show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday morning. If you like this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you're listening to this podcast. Please support the Kuwait Independent so we can keep doing what we do by going to kuwaitindependent.com membership and donating to us. And also support us on social media by following our official accounts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.